0: Good morning. Welcome to Calvary Baptist Church. My name is Guilherme Almeida, I'm on staff here, and I'm so glad you are here today joining us in worship. As we take care of this place and of this space of communal worship, we would like for you to know a few things. One of them, this will help you as you go along, navigating what to do, in which order to do, which words to say, which words to pray and sing your worship folder. Your hymnal will also help you this morning. It's in front of you. Uh, it says hymnal there. Uh, yeah, so that book. The welcome card is also another way for you to join in and allow us to know more about you in, in ways to help you and to support you in the days ahead. In the front, if you're a newcomer, if you're a guest with us, please let us know you're here. In the back, There are ways for you to join Calvary and for you to know what we're about. Uh, In the in the first part of that card, there's also a a place for you to write your prayer concerns and share that with us. We enjoy praying for you and we enjoy serving you in that way. When the offertory plate comes by, that's your gift for us this morning. Now, whether you hang out, whether you join, whether you share whether you host, whether you receive, the gesture of hospitality is very important to our faith. As we worship together during the worship series Table Talk, we will be looking at the table, we will be looking at the conversations as ways for us to minister to each other and ways for us to dream together as Calvary. I invite you today at this moment in worship before we sing our opening hymn, To think through a moment of warmth and hospitality where you felt welcome. Bring that memory to light this morning and let us worship together.
1: It's
2: Thank you for this house, we thank you for these friends, and we thank you for this table in front of us. We are thankful for a God that provides for us, just as he did with Elijah and the widow providing bread for the woman and her family and the prophet. We are reminded that this table is bigger than all of us, that those that sit around this table are different than us. They might look different. They might sound different. They might believe different things, yet we forget to climb into their skin and walk around in it. Let us open our ears and our hearts to hear those who do not march to our beat, but remember that they are children of God, just as we are. Amen.
3: Yo
4: reading from the first book of Kings.
5: Then the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Go now to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and live there. For I have commanded a widow
4: there to feed you. So he set out and went to Zarephath. When he came to the gate of the town, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and said, Bring me a little water in a vessel so that I may drink. As she was going to bring it, he called to her and said, Bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. But she said,
5: As the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked, only a handful of meal in a jar and a little oil in a jug. I am now gathering a couple of sticks, so that I may go home and prepare it for myself and my son, that we may eat it and die.
4: Elijah said to her, Do not be afraid. Go and do as you have said, But first make me a little cake of it and bring it to me. And afterwards, make something for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, The jar of meal will not be emptied, and the jug of oil will not fail until the day that the Lord sends rain on the earth.
5: She went and did as Elijah said so that she, as well as he in her household, ate for many days.
4: The jar of meal was not emptied. Neither did the jug of oil fail, according to the word of the Lord that he spoke by Elijah.
5: A reading from the Gospel according to Luke.
4: What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written. See? See? I am sending my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you.
5: I tell you, among those born of women, no one is greater than John, yet the least in the kingdom of God is greater than he.
4: And all the people who heard this, including the tax collectors, acknowledged the justice of God because they had been baptized with John's baptism. But by refusing to be baptized by him, The Pharisees and the lawyers rejected God's purpose for themselves.
5: To what then will I compare the people of this generation, and what are they like? They are like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to one another. We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We wailed, and you did not weep.
4: For John the Baptist has come eating no bread and drinking no wine, and you say, he has a demon The Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, Look, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Nevertheless, wisdom is vindicated by all her children.
5: One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and took his place at the table. And a woman in the city, who was a sinner, having learned that he was eating in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster jar of ointment.
4: She stood behind him at his feet, weeping, and began to bathe his feet with her tears and to dry them with her hair. Then she continued, kissing his feet and anointing them with the ointment.
5: Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw it, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what kind of woman this is who is touching him, that she is a sinner.
4: Jesus spoke up and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you.
5: Teacher, he replied, speak.
4: A certain creditor had two debtors, one who owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debts for both of them. Now which of them will love him more?
5: Simon answered, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the greater debt.
4: But she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which were many, have been forgiven. Hence, she has shown great love. But the one to whom little is forgiven loves little. Then he said to her, Your sins are forgiven.
5: But those who are at the table with him begin to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins?
4: And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace.
5: This is the word of God. Thanks be I will
3: feast at the table of the Lord. I will feast at the table of the Lord. the table of plenty, God will provide for all that we need, here at the table of plenty. Come to the feast of heaven and earth, come to the table of plenty, God will provide
6: examples this morning of times in scripture when the table is significant and it's significant in so many of our day-to-day conversations as well. Um, A lot of times this time of year we think of coming to the table to express our gratitudes. Um, Sometimes coming to the table is a place where we do business together. Maybe we come together with our families to talk about our schedules or our budgets or to make plans for the coming year. And so we thought this month we would bring different church leaders each week to have some conversation around the table together as the Calvary family. And so thank you all for being part of that conversation today. Sure. Well, for starters, why don't you just share your name and, and what is your position of, of ministry at Calvary?
7: So my name is Josh Caballero, and I am currently the chair of Coordinating Council the Coordinating Council is really the lay leadership body within Calvary um, that really kind of gathers each month to uh, help make decisions and discern for the body
2: of Calvary here. And my name is Ken Surrey. I am chair of the Deacons this year. Uh, and the Deacons here at Calvary are really servant leaders in in where we uh, help with pastoral care for the people of Calvary.
8: And I am Mallory Herridge, and I'm serving this year's chair of the missions team, and We're a group of maybe 10 to 12 uh, that have served in different capacities, locally, regionally, globally, or just folks passionate about helping come along the staff to discern best ways to be the hands and feet of Christ. Awesome. Well, since this is a month when we think about
6: sharing gratitude at the table, I wonder what are some of your gratitudes maybe from the past year of ministry at Calvary?
7: So I'll I'll speak as far as coordinating council goes. The two things that come to mind for me our one um, journey on which many of you participated in um, which was really kind of a campaign that the personnel and finance committees really pushed heavily to pay off our debts and that was great that we were able to do that earlier this summer Um, and then the other thing is is related to that and we are currently in the midst of uh, budget season um, this time of year uh, which unless you just really really love numbers which I do um, It's probably not a very fun time, Um, but it's actually a really exciting time right now. I think we're in a unique season um, at Calvary, and so we're able to dream about maybe some new personnel and some new opportunities as a staff, Um, you know, the associate pastor position. And so I think it's just a really exciting time to be a part of all of that.
6: Yeah, and the Coordinating Council will be viewing that budget today, and then you will get to see it in the, the tower later this week. So we're excited about that.
2: Well, and when I think about gratitude with uh, the Deacons of Calvary, it really feels like a two-way street for me because we feel gratitude, especially uh, we're paired off with senior adults, and I think there's a real wonderful relationship that we get because uh, these are the folks that don't usually get to come to service um, they might feel a little disconnected with Calvary, so we really feel there's uh, a great gratitude in that. And then gratitude also comes back to us, we feel like, in some of the things that we do, whether it's hospitality, greeting folks in the Welcome Center, or really coordinating like the meal trains, uh, which we do to uh, get folks involved so we can get meals out to people who may have lost a loved one, uh, maybe someone who's just had uh, a new child in the family. Uh, do looking we have at any? <laughs> what are you talking about?
8: I'm really looking forward to the meals. <laughs>
2: Uh, and so, really, we we feel that gratitude flowing back to us uh, in, in numerous ways. There.
8: Oh, sorry. <laughs> um, I have a long list um, that I showed Mary Alice, and she said we had limited time. I was like, oh, um, but we really do have so much to be thankful for as a church uh, when it comes to all the different ways that you all serve in the community, and we're privileged as a missions team to get to gather once a month to. Pray for everybody, um, pray about new opportunities that Mary Alice and the staff are presented with and bring to us to discern. Um, If I had to highlight one, I guess I would say our West Avenue partnership, just because it's such an example of like a long-term relationship in ministry uh, with multiple administrators at West Avenue, uh, West Avenue's in our neighborhood. Um, We have different church members like Josh that kind of wear dual hats with their the way they serve in the community as a career, but also how that informs what we know about West Avenue. And it's a great example of a ministry that over time we learned to really listen and follow their lead instead of perceiving needs and jumping in. Um, and yet there's still opportunity to dream and grow within that ministry. We have 20 plus mentors, but there's always so much more that we could do to support. And I, I just think that's something that we're really gracious and we're, we're glad to be a part of that. We have a lot of gratitude for that. Yeah,
6: I was walking down the hall of West Avenue this week actually, and I saw the banner that we made at our ministry conference, and I'd forgotten about that, but it was just a neat moment of gratitude to say, thanks be to God for all that's happening in this place. Well, what about pivoting towards some of our hopes and dreams for the future? It could be um, maybe personally your hopes and dreams for Calvary, but also as you look at your area of ministry, what's, what's coming up? What do you see God is leading us toward next?
7: Yeah, so I thought about this question and how I might answer it through the lens of Coordinating Council, and I wasn't entirely sure, to be quite honest. Um, But if I think about it, um, one of my favorite things about Coordinating Council is that it's really an eclectic group of people that come together um, with wearing a lot of different hats and looking at uh, Calvary through a lot of different lenses, whether it's facilities or children or music and worship or whatever it might be. Um, And we gather each month around a table to really discern together and pray together um, and think through what God might be calling us to be together. And I think my hope and dream for Calvary is that we continue to create spaces like that um, and opportunities for each of us to gather around a table to really kind of um, uniquely, with all of the different ideas and gifts that we bring, um,
2: to really kind of live into and think through who God might be calling us to be. Well, with the deacons, it's really interesting in that we've got currently 18 people serving as deacons uh, for for this church year, Uh, but we really have no set number. I mean, we can be as—ideally, we can be as big as we would like to be, and that's kind of where I hope that we can be at some point. As this church is growing, uh, I hope that more people will, will become deacons and that we can then really be more of the hands and feet with everyone here at Calvary.
6: Yeah, one thing I've appreciated that deacons have really helped to keep an eye on who are our newcomers or who are the people who might be slipping through the cracks. And, and I think as Calvary continues to grow, the deacon body can grow in that as well to make sure that we are caring for the whole family of God in this place. And that that's exciting to me.
2: More more hands are always better.
8: I think uh, for me, first of all, I just love the, the word dream, hopes and dreams, because I think that's really exciting when we're at a place where we're not afraid to use that language. And uh, so for the missions team, we've been using that a lot lately as we had the opportunity with some surplus Journey On funding granted to us to think about, gosh, you know, what what is happening in the community in our global area to to be able to say, can we come alongside and help out in that? Um, But so I think about um, just just the fact that we are able to dream this year um, As a team, we have a line item in the budget called Missions Dreaming so that um, as folks in our um, larger church community start to hear about something or get involved in something, we could think together about what Calvary's role, if we're being led in that direction. Um, I think about the word uh, just going deeper and just thinking about inclusiveness in general. like Does everybody in our church family know that they can put forth a dream and that we want to kind of come alongside and think about what that might look like for us? Uh, Does everybody feel included in advocacy efforts or mission efforts? Do you know about it? All ages, children, youth, how are we supporting all ages to understand this role in their spiritual life? And uh, so those are kind of just some overarching hopes and dreams I think we have. Well, I think
6: We have such gratitude for all that God is doing in this place. Um, And I'm grateful to be in a place where we can dream and dream alongside all of the Calvary family. So thanks for what you bring to the table and thanks be to God for all that God is doing in this place. This is a reading from Luke chapter 5, starting in verse 27. After this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, Follow me. And he got up, left everything, and followed him. Then Levi gave a great banquet for him in his house. And there was a large crowd of tax collectors and others sitting at the table with them. The Pharisees and their scribes were complaining to the disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have come to call not the righteous, but sinners to repentance. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, now, gracious God, may the words of my mouth, may the meditations of all of our hearts together in this place be found pleasing to you. O Lord, you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Guess who's coming to dinner? is a 1967 film about a young woman, Joanna Drayton, who goes home to San Francisco to introduce her family to her fiancé, John Prentiss. Now, Joanna is excited to tell her mother all about this young man who has stolen her heart and all the things that she loves about him. But when John walks into the room behind her, Joanna's mother is shocked to discover that John Prentiss is black. Likewise, John's parents come into town for the dinner as well and they are just as shocked upon arriving at the airport to discover that the young woman who has stolen their son's heart is white. By the time they all get to the dinner party, the rest of the movie seems to be a game of musical chairs as different family members and friends share their reactions to the couple's news. Now, while this may not seem like such a big deal today, in 1967, for a movie to portray interracial marriage in such a positive way was quite bold. Historically, interracial marriage had been illegal in most states, and it was still legal in 17 states until the same year that the movie was released. In fact, it was actually just two weeks after Guess Who's Coming to Dinner finished filming that the Supreme Court ruled in Loving v. Virginia to strike down all state laws banning interracial marriage. But as we well know, just because marriage became legal doesn't mean it was even close to becoming accepted, especially in the South. In fact, several of the actors and the movie's director actually received death threats when the movie hit theaters later that year. At the end of the movie, Joanna's father begins to outline for her and John all the challenges he believes that they are up against. He says anybody can make a case, and even a good case, against you are getting married. The arguments are so obvious that nobody even has to make them. But no matter what kind of case someone can make against you are getting married, there would be only one thing worse— And that would be if, knowing what you two are, knowing what you two have, and knowing what you two feel, you didn't get married. Others in the room are crying and begin to nod in agreement. And then in this final spoken word at the end of the film, Mr. Drayton says, now who's ready for dinner? Because I'm starving. And after all of these tense conversations that we have witnessed between them, Joanna, John, and their families gather around the table together for dinner as the camera pans out and the credits begin to roll. It's interesting to me that of all the ways this movie could have been written, the writers chose to center it at the dinner table. Perhaps they knew that that there is something so significant, so healing, so human, and something so sacred about the table. Our tables say a lot about us, don't they? I am sure every single middle school and high school student here could walk us through your cafeterias and show us all the different tables and which groups of people sit where. Am I right? And this isn't just unique to our children and youth, is it? It happens at every age and stage of life. I can still walk you through my college cafeteria. I can tell you where the freshman women sat, where the Sigma Kappa sat, where the Kappa Delta sat, where the Phi Mu sat, where the athletes sat, and so on and so on. And looking back, it makes me wonder how many people probably opted not to eat in our cafeteria if they didn't have a group to sit with. And even years after they have finished high school, even our friends who are in retirement homes can walk us through their dining halls too. They can tell us exactly who sits where and why. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner, everybody has a particular spot, and you dare not mess it up. There's a Middle Eastern proverb that Jesus likely would have known that says this: I saw them eating and I knew who they were. I saw them eating and and I knew who they were. And I think this proverb still rings true for us today over 2,000 years later. Our tables say something about us, don't they? What do your tables say about you? What do they communicate about what you value or who you value? What did Jesus' tables say about him? That's what we are going to spend the month of November asking ourselves in our new worship series called Table Talk. Interestingly enough, scholars have actually pointed out that in Luke's gospel, it seems like Jesus is almost always either going to a meal, at a meal, or leaving a meal. But the fact that Jesus is eating a lot isn't as significant to me as the people with whom he is eating. Over and over again, I can't count how many times we've heard it this morning, Luke tells us that Jesus eats with sinners and tax collectors, which continually upsets the Pharisees. Bible scholar Robert Karras says that in Luke's gospel, Jesus ultimately got himself killed because of the way he ate. Fred Craddock says it this way, in Luke's gospel, nothing is more serious than a dining table. And so that brings up a good point for us about the context of a meal in the biblical text. In our culture, we don't always treat meals as that significant, except maybe at Thanksgiving or another holiday or special event But people weren't running to grab fast food in Jesus' time. They weren't eating in their car between their appointments like I do sometimes. In Jesus' culture, to invite a person to have a meal was an incredible honor. And it wasn't simply just sharing one's food, it was a sharing of one's life. It was intimate, it was vulnerable. And which is why any time we read about Jesus being at the table, we ought to be paying attention to what's happening. And so in the text I just read, Luke 5, verse 27, Jesus sees a man named Levi sitting at his tax booth and says to him, follow me. So Levi gets up and says, leaves everything and follows Jesus. Not only that, Levi goes home and gives a great banquet for Jesus, along with all of his closest friends, a large crowd of tax collectors and others who are sitting at the table with them. And meanwhile, you see the Pharisees and scribes in the background, hovering close by, complaining to the disciples, saying, why do you all eat with sinners and tax collectors? I think it's important for us to unpack these words to understand the way that sinners and tax collectors were viewed in this culture. For the Pharisees to call Jesus' dinner guests sinners was not just a personal opinion about their lifestyle. It was more of a public opinion. It was a term used for people who had broken the Mosaic Law and everyone in the community knew about it. Some people translate this text to say that they were public sinners. Tax collectors, for instance, abused the system by requiring people to give an extra tax above the amount that was to be sent to the government. They added their own tax on top so that they could be sure to receive a piece of the pie, too. Their sin was so public that everyone knew about it, and it excluded them from the synagogue. And given that the synagogue had such a central place in society, to be excluded from the synagogue was to be excluded from the entire community. Jesus was eating and sharing life with people who simply weren't welcome at any other table in town. But before we critique the Pharisees too harshly, we ought to do some careful internal investigation and ask ourselves, would you or I have really said anything differently? For instance, think about the person who has possibly taken advantage of you in some way, or maybe someone you love. Maybe they have helped to create systems that oppress other people. Maybe they cheat and don't treat other people fairly. You and I don't tend to think too highly of people like this, but that's who the tax collectors were. Or consider the most public sinner you know, the person whose actions to you just seem so counter to the way of God. Just when you think they can't say or do something worse, they do it again. Just about everything they do rubs up against you. It gets under your skin, not only because what they say and do is offensive to you, but it's offensive to your faith. Now imagine... Jesus being surrounded by this person and their friends and enjoying a meal with them. You and I might think, why in the world is he sitting down with someone like them? And why wouldn't Jesus want to come and sit down with someone like me? In his book, Meals with Jesus, Tim Chester says, Can you see how the Pharisee's position actually makes good sense? Unless, unless God is doing something new, so new that it doesn't fit any of the old categories, unless God is doing something so gracious that it takes us completely by surprise. You see, when you get down to it, that's what's so radical, so unbelievable, so completely countercultural about Jesus eating with sinners and tax collectors. It's grace. It's grace that to us just seems downright offensive, grace that is completely undeserved, grace that just doesn't make any sense, grace that simply isn't fair. But that's precisely what grace is, isn't it? If we were based on being worthy and deserving, then it wouldn't be grace. If it were based on being logical and reasonable, then it wouldn't be grace either. If it were based on doing what seems right and fair, that's not grace either. When the Pharisees asked why he ate with sinners and tax collectors, Jesus answered with these words, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have come to call not the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And when I hear those words, I am struck I realize there's a big problem with the way in which I have almost always read this text, and that is this. The reality is that when I imagine this story, I don't see myself at the table with Jesus. I don't. More often than not, I am the voice of critique in the background. But in order to see myself sitting at the table, I first must see myself as a sinner in need of grace. Sometimes I think we rush so quickly to inviting other people to the table that we forget that it's only by God's grace that a chair has been offered to each of us too. And if there's anything that Jesus' table with tax collectors and sinners has to teach us, it's this radical message of overwhelming and unfathomable grace upon grace upon grace. Grace that has been given for sinners like me and sinners like you. I love how Frederick Buechner describes grace. He says, after centuries of handling and mishandling, most religious words have become so shopworn that nobody's interested in them anymore. But not so with grace, for some reason. Mysteriously, even derivatives like gracious and graceful still have some of the bloom left. Grace is something you can never get but only be given. There's no way to earn it or deserve it or bring it about any more than you can deserve the taste of raspberries and cream or earn good looks or bring about your own birth. A good sleep is grace, and so are good dreams. I would add that that extra hour of sleep last night was certainly grace for me. Most tears are grace. Somebody loving you is grace. Loving somebody is grace. Have you ever really tried to love someone? A crucial eccentricity of the Christian faith is the assertion that people are saved by grace. There's nothing you have to do. There's nothing you have to do. There's nothing you have to do. do. There's only one catch. Like any other gift, the gift of grace can only be yours if you'll reach out and take it. And maybe being able to reach out and take it is grace too. Friends, may we too be overwhelmed by the grace of Jesus who pulled up a chair for sinners and tax collectors and made room at them for the table. But may we first see ourselves as people who are overwhelmed by the grace of Jesus who pulls up a chair for each of us. But the chair is only ours if we will reach out and take it and have a seat. And maybe being able to take a seat is grace too. The proverb says, I saw them eating and I knew who they were. May we be known as people who sit at Jesus' table, as sinners who have been saved by grace upon grace upon grace. And so God, I ask, in these moments as we prepare to come to the table, that you might convict us of the ways that we are sinners in need in so many ways of your grace. God, meet us in these places and yet help us to know that it is it is in coming forward to receive your grace that we receive your forgiveness, and that we are overwhelmed by the abundance of your love and by the ridiculousness of your grace. Help us to live each day as grace upon grace upon grace. We ask these things in your name and for the sake of your kingdom. Amen. Well, maybe today you realize that Jesus has pulled up a chair for you at the table, that you too are a sinner in need of grace. Maybe you're ready to take a seat at that table and join him. If you want to talk with one of our ministers about what it looks like to respond, to follow God, and to walk in the ways of Jesus, we would love to visit with you about that today. Or maybe you want to join our community of faith here at Calvary where we seek to know and to follow Jesus together, to sit at the table together in the best ways we know how. We would love to welcome you into our church family today. And so however God leads you to respond, our ministers will be in the back ready to receive you and to pray with you as we continue in worship.
3: sin and darkness whose love is mighty and so a stronger for the King of glory the King of our kings who shakes the whole life with holy thunder and leaves us breathless in awe and wonder the King of glory the King of all kings. do <laughs>
9: the table with. He did not ask any of them to hide who they were, but invited them to the table regardless of what the world thought of them or what they thought of themselves.
4: So come, just as you are, wherever you are on this journey of following Christ, you are welcome here,
9: here in this place, here in this community, here at this table. Come and remember with us, Remember the stories that Jesus' friends told, stories of bread broken and shared, stories of being gathered together, enemy and friend, around tables, stories of unlikely people joining the community of Christ. And so we pray. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Bless this bread.
4: Bless this fruit of the vine. Bless all of us in our eating and drinking that our eyes might be open that we might recognize the risen Christ in our midst, indeed in one another. Amen.
9: So today we come to the table to remember again how the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took a loaf of bread and broke it. And when he had given thanks, he said, this is my body that is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup
4: is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim
9: the Lord's death until he comes. Come and remember with us. You are invited to the table.
6: As you go today, I hope you'll look around you and see if there's someone around you that you maybe haven't met before. I'm mindful that we have several visitors and newcomers with us, and we are especially glad that you're here today. We hope you'll stick around and give us a chance to greet you. Also, we've talked a lot about the table today, and the, the people that we gather with at the table are significant, but so is the food we eat. And several of our Truett students, including Jenny Chelton and Connor Nudsen are planning a community creation care event through a class at Truitt, and so they are meeting downtown at the Farmer's Market on Saturday at 9.30 a.m. to learn some of the vendor's stories. And then they'll come back here to Calvary at 10.30 a.m. to follow up and have more discussion about the food we eat, where it comes from, and why it matters. So, Jenny, would you raise your hand? I don't know if Connor's here or not, but they'd love for, for us to join them for that conversation and see more information about that on, on Facebook this week. Um, I hope you'll look at that announcement sheet in your worship folder. There's lots of upcoming information about harvest meal and also all the fun Advent things that we have planned. So take a careful look at that and mark some of those dates. And also, as is our tradition when we receive the Lord's Supper, we also receive um, the Samaritan's Fund offering, and this goes toward emerging needs in our community and in our congregation. Um, It is used often and well, so thank you for giving generously to that. Well, please stand and join me for today's benediction. Friends, may the God who calls you from this place journey with you as you go. May God delight in you with joy, bringing unimagined graces. Walk with you in darkness, shining light along your way. May God be close to you in pain, giving strength for every moment. And comfort you in fear, granting courage to be brave. May God's love surround you, may Christ's mercy astound you, and may the Spirit abound in you so that you live in the fullness of the God who is with us always. Amen.